0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So on December 1st, 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sat down to a quiet dinner with his children in his home. He lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He'd been widowed in a tragic accident two years prior where his wife's dress had caught on fire. Uh, he was taking a nap. He was awakened by her screams. He tried to extinguish the flames first with a rug and then he actually threw his own body on his wife to try and extinguish the flames, but he was unsuccessful um, she suffered severe burns and, and actually died the next morning. Um, he, Henry sustained facial burns that were so severe that he was actually unable to attend his wife's funeral. Uh, he later actually grew a beard to, to hide the scars, and he was afraid that he was going to be sent to an asylum because of his grief, how, how uh, overcome he was. Earlier that spring in 1863, his oldest son, Charlie, had enlisted as a private in the 1st Massachusetts Artillery, and he had advanced quickly within that. He became a second lieutenant, Um, and so far he had survived, but on this night in, in early December, they get a telegram, and in this telegram, they're told that Charlie has been severely wounded. Uh, four days earlier in a skirmish. They're they're fighting in the Civil War. A bullet has traveled across his back, narrowly missing his spine. Uh, He's being transferred to Washington, D.C. Immediately, Henry and his younger son, they they get on this train, and they arrive in Washington, D.C. on December 3rd to visit their son, Charlie. Um, Surgeons are working on him, and at one point, the surgeons say he's, he's probably never going to walk again. Later on, throughout the process, the, the prognosis becomes more improved. However, they say it's probably going to be six months uh, of hard, laborious care before he is able to walk, if he ever is. And it's in this particular situation On Christmas Day, 1863, where we see this widower who is stricken with grief, a father of six children, the oldest of whom might be paralyzed for the rest of his life. His country is in the midst of of fighting a civil war against itself, and it's in the middle of all of this that he hears Christmas bells. He hears the the bells in, in the city or the town ring. And he hears this this Christmas carol being sung out by a group of singers of Peace on Earth. That's a lot of hard stuff to be going through to hear about Peace on Earth. a lot of injustice to go through to be singing about peace on earth. There's a lot of violence that he is witnessing firsthand to be talking about peace on earth. There's a lot of suffering that he is experiencing firsthand to talk about peace on earth. And he sat down and he wrote this poem, and I've read this poem before, but it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about this morning. It says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I wonder if maybe we're, we can look at our lives and we can maybe, at least partly, identify with with what this man has gone through. Maybe maybe you look at your life and you're like, man, there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now that doesn't feel like peace on earth. As we look at a country that is fractured in so many different ways. As you look at your own life and the struggles that you may be going through, it's hard sometimes to look at those things and and recognize that this is the season where we're supposed to be festive. This is the season where we're supposed to have joy. We we just talked about how all of those things are, are supposed to happen, and yet sometimes our circumstance just seems too hard And for so many people, the goal of this season is to just get through it. And even for those who, who don't want to just get through it, even there, there are people who look forward to it. This will, will pass. This season will, will pass and, and it, will be, it will come to an end of the Christmas season and, and it'll be back to everything else that we do throughout our, our, our lives. Festivities will be over. Families will will separate and go back to the places that they normally live. And we will be back in this daily grind. But did you know that in the midst of that daily grind, there is still peace on earth? One thing that, that can bring joy is knowing that the Bible is not oblivious to the lives that we lead that Christ is not oblivious to the lives that we lead. The Bible is honest about the struggles that we are going to face. And it's in the midst of our struggles when, when everything seems impossible that God brings about his purposes. And sometimes it, we have to find ourselves in the impossible for God's purposes to be realized. The book of 1 Samuel begins around the time of the judges. The story that we see here in in 1 Samuel chapter 1 would have overlapped with the time of Samson that we talked about last week. When Israel is living more or less in uh, contented oppression under the Philistines, but all of that is just a backdrop. 1 Samuel 1 zooms in specifically. Instead of focusing on the entire people of Israel, it zooms in and it looks at one specific woman. This woman's name is Hannah. And Hannah has trouble. Hannah's dealing with hardship. Hannah's dealing with difficulty. Could it be that the God who orchestrates kings and nations and world events is involved in the details and the troubles of one woman's life. You bet. So this morning we're gonna talk about three specific points. Your troubles belong to God. Your prayers matter to God and your salvation comes from God. First Samuel 1, 1 through 8. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a uh, Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Three years after, sorry, Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? So the the story begins by, by focusing on the family of Elkanah, and we we really don't know much about the the region that he's from, but we can tell from his genealogy that that he comes from a respected family. the The story indicates that he's a pretty devout man. He's he's going to. Uh, Shiloh every year to worship, so he, he is able to travel. He is sacrificing at the, the tabernacle there. And not only that, he, he seems to be pretty, pretty wealthy as well because he's actually able to afford two wives. And that's where we maybe come to our first question. How did Elkanah come to have two wives? And the, the story doesn't exactly say and so this is, I always like to be clear, this is maybe where we're, we're bringing in a little bit of speculation, a little bit of, uh, we'll say, informed guessing. Uh, <laughs> but if we look at, at what verse 2 says, it says he had two wives. We could also see a translation where it says the first was called Hannah, and the second was called Panina. It's possible that Elkanah was first married to Hannah, but Hannah was unable to conceive. She was unable to have children. And so because of that, Elkanah took a second wife. That's possible. Why would would that matter? Why is that something that somebody who's wealthy would take on. For a rich man at that time to not have an heir would be that all of his land and possessions would be lost forever, that his his family line would, would stop. We see in verse one that he is a wealthy man. He has a legacy that he wants to pass on. And so as years go on and Hannah's unable to have children, maybe there's Despair, there, maybe there's disagreement that happens and so we see that Elkanah has this second wife there's a, another story in the Old Testament that, that kind of sounds like this if we look at, at the, the story of Abraham and, and Sarah and Hagar we, we don't know if this second wife was the idea of Elkanah or if maybe Hannah was saying hey this isn't working let's try somebody else But either way, if you're Hannah, how does that feel? Shame, sorrow, the ability to bear children in that time was was a big deal. That was was very critical to the, the social status of Hannah. One thing that is important for us to know is that even though polygamy might have been culturally acceptable, during that particular time, scripture is very clear that that is not part of God's design. God's design, and we see it from the very beginning of creation, has always been for marriage to be between a man and a woman, and just one man and one woman. And what we see here and what we see throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is that when that particular formula is broken, grief often comes about. If Elkanah and Hannah thought that things were going to get better after children came along, unfortunately, they were wrong. So, Panina is able to bear Elkanah children, but Hannah has none. And so, just like Hagar started despising Sarah, Panina begins to despise Hannah. And it would all kind of come to a head during their yearly trip to Shiloh at the family feast where the, the family would t- partake of the sacrifice, where, where a portion would be given to each individual based on their family size. And so Akana would distribute the portions of meat, giving the the portions to the different family members, but he would deliberately give Hannah a double portion because he loved her. That's what the scripture says. And even in, in that act is probably bringing about some of the, the bitterness that exists between the two. And, and one commentator has this conversation kind of imagined at the table, and says, this is between uh, Penina, Penina and Hannah. Now, do all of you children have your food? Man, there are so many of you. It's hard to keep track. Hannah, can you give me a hand with this, please? Mommy, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. Miss Hannah, oh, yes, that's right. She doesn't have any children. Well, doesn't she want children? Oh, yes, she wants children very, very much. Wouldn't you say so, Hannah? Don't you wish that you had children too? Doesn't daddy want Miss Hannah to have kids? Oh, certainly he does, but Miss Hannah keeps disappointing him. She just can't have kids. Why not? Because God won't let her. Does God not like you, Miss Hannah? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, by the way, Hannah, did, did I, I tell you that I'm pregnant again? You think you'll ever be pregnant someday? It's not that hard to think about a conversation like that and what damage that can do. And so we, we have all of this and then we see at the very end of that passage of scripture that we read that Elkanah comes to the rescue and says, aren't I enough? <laughs> Guys, sometimes it's just better to shut up. Sometimes it is better to just be quiet than to try and solve the problem. Guys, we like to solve the problem. We, we are presented with the issue. We see how to fix it. We say, well, if you just did this, this, and this, that would solve your problem. Even if it's true, sometimes just don't say it. Sometimes Keely and I have a conversation where, <laughs> Huh? <laughs> Where we we just kind of have a, a quick check of is this something where we we want to fix this or is, can 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 I I I share a thought on how to fix this or is this something where we should maybe just have just have conversation? <laughs> well, it's only because I've gone through the other way. <laughs> But it's important, and, and this is an important lesson. You know, I, I joke about you know men needing to, to know this, but it's true in, in every situation. Sometimes we don't need to share the solution. Sometimes we just need to be with people in their hurting. Sometimes we just need to be with people in suffering, in the, the hardship that they're going through, recognizing, yeah, this, this isn't very fun at all. This is terrible, and I am so sorry that you are going through this. Now, that's not to say that there won't be a season where Maybe it does make sense to share. Well, what if we try this instead? But it's knowing when to find that season. And I'm going to be pretty, I'm pretty sure that that wasn't the time for Elkanah to say, hey, what about me? I, I'm great. <laughs> and so what we see here is Hannah is in this de- desperate situation her body has betrayed her is is kind of what she thinks her her rival uh Panina is blessed and is using that blessing against her her husband can't do anything about it and is kind of just being an insensitive jerk through the whole thing and there seems to be no way out of this and i wonder maybe some of us have gone through that type of problem not necessarily the childbearing issue but but anything else Maybe some of you have gone through those types of situations in your life where everything is just seeming like, man, this is not where I want to be right now. And yet in the midst of all of this is God. God is never once absent or oblivious to what it is that Hannah is going through. Hannah believed in God. Hannah came every year and provided sacrifice to God. She prayed. And if she she prays and and she recognizes that that Yahweh is God, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, what's... The, the feeling that can sometimes come when we're in the midst of struggle, when we're in, in the midst of, of hardship that we don't understand. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God's out to get me. Maybe I've done something wrong that, that's causing this to take place in my life. Some of that had to have crossed Hannah's mind. Maybe there's a reason that this is is happening and I'm feeling this way and I'm being treated this way. And sometimes we struggle with this idea that, that there are bad things that happen. We struggle with the idea that there is hardship that exists in this world. We struggle with those things. And sometimes we think that God has purposely put those things in, into our life. And, and can I tell you, God doesn't cause those bad things to come into your life what I can tell you is God uses those good things to his purpose. He redeems those bad things, those struggles, those hardships, those areas even that that are a result of sin. He takes those and says, sin is not going to stop me from doing the work that I have planned for you brokenness is not going to stop me from doing the things that I have planned for you. And so in the midst of this, we see that Hannah is dealing with hardship. She's dealing with brokenness and hurt. And yet those things are not going to stop what God has planned for her. God is above the evil in this world. And that assures us that God is able to use even human evil, even the, the Nastiness that's coming out of this other woman to accomplish his purposes. And yet, what we see here as we move on to the the next scripture, the next portion of this chapter, is that the story of Hannah tells us that God is not oblivious to the suffering that we face, God reigns over our suffering. He doesn't rejoice in it, but he reigns over it. And God is the only one who could have perfectly understood what Hannah was going through. Church, do you, do you know that God understands perfectly the hardship that you are going through? When no one else does, those tears that you cry when no one else is looking, God knows. Hannah's trouble, our trouble, belongs to God, the creator of the universe, the God who is with us. And your prayers matter to God. In 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 18, it says, Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, and now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all of the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard and Eli thought she was drunk and he said how long are you going to stay drunk put away your wine not so my lord Hannah replied I am a woman who is deeply troubled I've not been drinking wine or beer I was pouring out my soul to the Lord Do not take your servant for a wicked, wicked woman I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief and Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked for. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went on her way, ate something and her face was no longer downcast. And so this, this story picks up on another one of these trips that they've gone on, another one of these painful meals where, where she's been needled and made to, to just deal with all of this hardship that she's facing And so after this meal, she makes her way to the tabernacle. And in her sorrow, Hannah comes and she begins to pray to God. If you recall over the past few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to pray. We've been talking about how to pray. And what we see here is a woman who knows how to pray. A woman who comes to God and brings everything she has. And she says, God, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own and she shows up and she pours out her heart in in honest anguish to God. Verse 10 says in bitterness of soul Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. In 15 and 16 it says I was pouring out my soul to the Lord, praying here out of my great anguish and grief. This was not now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. This was real life, something needs to change and only you can fix it kind of prayer. Do you think she prayed like this before? I'm pretty sure if you are at this point, this isn't the first time that you've prayed. There's no question that her, her desperation is in part tied to her barrenness, her inability to have children. And yet I think there's something else that's happening here too. Part of the, the anguish, part of the, the sadness, part of the unknown is, is where is God in the middle of all of this? Could it be that that is a source of some of the difficulty that she's, she's running into as well? It's one thing to know that you have somebody with you in, in the midst of that hardship. And you can lean on that person and say, okay, I may be going through a hard time, but I've got you here. And, and you're here to hold my hand as I go through this. But in the midst of all of this, Hannah doesn't feel like God's there. God, do you see me? Do you recognize me? Do you even know, do you even care that I am going through this today? Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant. God, are you there? Hannah's prayer was for a son, but, but it, was, it was more than just praying for a son. It was a prayer saying, God, are, I, I need you. I need to know you are here. That God would show her that he wasn't, hadn't forgotten about her. And so because of that, we see the, the, the prayer that she makes. If God gives her a son, she will devote that son to the Lord for all of his days. We talked last week about making that Nazarite vow, about what that means. It means dedicating that person to the service of God. And so what she does is she invokes the Nazarite vow on her son before he's ever even born meaning that Samuel from birth would be set aside for God. What does that mean? That means that this firstborn son that she's praying for, that she's been begging for and pleading for, doesn't receive the inheritance that the firstborn child would typically receive. It means that he wouldn't be around to take care of uh, her and her husband in their old age. It means that Hannah would still be alone when Panina came in and said all of the things that Panina would normally say to her. And yet, that's, that's not the, the main focus for Hannah. Hannah's overcome with sorrow and grief. She doesn't notice that Eli's there. And apparently, Eli must have been pretty used to chasing drunk people out of the temple. Because it seemed like that's where he went to first, and I think that kind of speaks to the uh, spiritual condition of the people of Israel at that time. Um, So he sees Hannah praying and assumes that she must be drunk, and he he gets up and says, "Hey, you need to leave." And Hannah impressively doesn't chew him out, but and said, "No," and explains what's what's happening in her life. And here's the important thing in verse eighteen. Nothing has changed, and yet Hannah gets up, brushes the tears off of her face, raises her face, and goes out and faces her day. She has brought her request before the Lord. She has has done what she's come to do, and now recognizes that, that her portion of this process is done, and that she now trusts God to do what he's going to do. There is something that is life-changing about prayer that goes even beyond our circumstances. The God of the universe, the God who spoke the stars into motion, cares about you. And in the midst of all of Hannah's trouble and discomfort, she found peace. Prayer is not valuable because we get stuff from God. And yet sometimes when we look at prayer, sometimes that's what we think is we just need to get stuff. Prayer is valuable in itself because in it we turn to God and we recognize that that we don't need the stuff, that God is the greatest. God is the answer and God will provide as he needs to provide, as we need him to provide. We go through our days surrounded by troubles, surrounding by those difficulties, just like Hannah does, that challenge our faith in God. Does God really love you? Is the Bible even true? Does God care about your suffering? Has God forgotten about you? Those are all questions that can come out. And yet, in the midst of all of that, we have a God who is with us. Even though Hannah was comforted by prayer, the story doesn't end there because salvation comes from God. 1 Samuel 1, 19-28, it says, Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and they went back to their home. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and she became pregnant. The Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him, only... May the Lord make good his word. And so the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull an effa of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. if everything stopped at Hannah leaving the the tabernacle, being inwardly comforted in the midst of her trouble, we would be kind of left with an incomplete picture of how all of this works. The salvation that God brings isn't just inner peace. It's not just some higher level of consciousness that we, we attain and now the stuff that we're facing in this world doesn't matter. No, we serve a God who acts in time and space and reality on behalf of those who cry out to him. life and stuff. And it doesn't matter um, how long God gives them to me because who am I to- Absolutely. He didn't answer it the same way as Hannah, but he still answered that prayer in his time, in his way. He does. God sees. God, God is not a stranger. He is not absent. God remembered <laughs> Noah when he was in the ark. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God remembers Hannah. It's not that, that God's memory is faulty. <laughs> but this is the language that, that is used to indicate that God is about to work out his unfolding purposes, that God has a plan. And just like we talked about last week when we were looking at Samson, God loves to use the unlikely. God use, uses the impossible because that is how his glory is shown. And so God opens Hannah's womb and she conceives and gives birth to a son. And she names her son Samuel. And now the, the time has come for her to go back to Shiloh, to this, this annual sacrifice and, and feast. And, and finally, the time is here for her to, to go and to not be alone alone. The, the time is finally here for her to bring her son, in, and finally we can shut up, Panina. Vindication. But she doesn't go. Why doesn't she go? And, and we see the answer she hasn't forgotten her promise. She knows that Samuel doesn't belong to her, he doesn't exist to vindicate her own pride. He doesn't exist so that her own self-esteem can be boosted. He belongs to God. And so the next time she returns to Shiloh, it will be to devote Samuel to the Lord forever. One thing that I think is important for us to note here is Hannah could have kept her vow a secret. Nobody else knew. Nobody heard her prayer. Eli thought she was drunk. And now God had finally given her a son. All her life she has prayed for a son. Could she really be expected to give him up now? And yet, It doesn't seem like she's reluctant at all at least in the the writing that we see and in fact it's almost the opposite she plans to care for samuel not until he's a teenager not until he's like eight years old but until he's weaned and in in that culture he would have been weaned at like two or three years old two or three years old she takes her son and says here And so as soon as it's done, she makes a special trip. She doesn't wait for the next year, for the next year's trip to Shiloh. She makes a special trip and brings the the three-year-old bull along with probably a three-year-old child. So what's the point? What's, what's the point of this story? How does, Matt, how does this have to do with Christmas? Like, what, did you forget what we're talking about here? This is December. We're supposed to, This is nativity. We're supposed to be talking about those things. Maybe the, the point of this prayer is that if we simply pray hard enough, if we come and cry hard enough, if we act like we're drunk in church, that God will give us what we want. Thankfully, no, that's not the point of this. Hannah's response Shows us that really Samuel wasn't the point of her joy, wasn't the, the source of her joy. Hannah's joy came from the fact that that she realized that God had not forgotten her. That God answers prayer and that God works in amazing ways. And that in the midst of all of her hardship, in the midst of all of her pain, God was still faithful. the the people of israel had been crying out for a savior for years for hundreds of years they had been crying out god save us rescue us you made a promise we're asking you to be faithful and god says i will always be faithful and just like God was faithful in answering the prayer of Hannah, God is faithful in answering the cries of His people and, and bringing about something that was completely unexpected, something that was impossible, something that was completely miraculous. That in the, the life of Jesus. You can read all about the the response that Hannah has to this in chapter two of 1 Samuel. But her joy is not in Samuel. Her joy is in the Lord. It says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. No matter who you are this morning, this is the God that you can know for yourself. No matter what struggle you find yourself in, this is the God that you can know for yourself. This is the hope that we can have this Christmas season When Longfellow heard the the Christmas bells in 1863, he was reflecting on his circumstances, on the the circumstance of being in a broken world, in a broken country, in a, a, a family that was broken, and all of the hardship, and yet in the midst of that, he recognized that God has not forgotten his people. God has acted to save his people. That there is hope that is even deeper than the brokenness that this world experiences. And so the last verse of his poem comes, then peeled the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Peace on earth isn't a matter of of circumstance because circumstance changes. Circumstance, the, the things of this world will come but they will go. But God will be consistent. God is consistent. The wrong will fail, the right prevail, and there will be peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your peace. God, we thank you that even in the midst of, of the hardships that we face in this season or any other, God, you are not a stranger. You are, are there with us. You are in the midst of it. And God, we thank you that, that we can come to you. We can lean on you. We can bring our, our needs and our concerns and our desires to you and you listen. God, as we prepare to, to leave this place, This morning we, we just pause for a moment, Lord, and we consider those things, those areas in our life where we have that need, where we have that, that desire that is within us, God. Maybe it's a desire for, that's, that's as big as Hannah's, God, that, that she wants a son and that, that she is crying and, and longing for that. Maybe there are things that are, are like that that exist in our lives today. God, we bring those things. We bring the big things. We bring the seemingly impossible things to you, knowing that you are a God who works in the impossible. God, we come this morning recognizing that you are with us. We come this morning to be reminded that, that we are not alone. We thank you that you came. That you came to be with us. That you came to make a way for us to be with you for all of eternity. Lord, as we prepare to go out into this place, into the, the world, Lord, I ask that you would cause us to remember. That you would cause us to, to be mindful of of. That gift, to be mindful of the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a- Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, WoodstreetChapel.org, or email us, info at WoodstreetChapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.